Let us now read together what we have in our confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 11. It's on page 527 of your new book of praise. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints in themselves or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, question and answer 29 give a very simple and straightforward statement. Everyone can understand this. Yet it is a good thing that the catechism states the question and answer nevertheless. Why is the Son of God called Jesus that is Savior? The Heidelberg Catechism is not just an explanation which the catechism students have to learn by heart. It is foremost our confession. We confess it with the mouth and believe it with the heart. You see, it may be a simple statement, but it is also a very profound statement. But well, this is where it becomes difficult. It is easy to understand that Jesus saves us from our sins. It is also easy to memorize this answer and to repeat the words of this Lord's Day by heart. But it is another thing also to believe it and to live out of that conviction. Because you don't always see how Jesus is your Savior at this very moment, right now. Do you? That's what makes it so difficult. For you see, there is not always evidence of this salvation. There is still the struggle of every day. There is still the pain and sickness. Also, here in this church, we see the disabled, the sick, and the ailing. We also see the brokenness and the frailty of human life. We also see how we still cling to this sinful world, how we cling to our own sins. And then finally, there is also the reality yet of death, death which we all have to face. And also think about the relationships with one another. We are constantly at odds with each other too, aren't we? There's a lot of strife and disagreement and pain. So how does it show that we are a saved 
community as we confess. For in spite of all these things, we must confess the name of Jesus, that is, Savior. And so the question is, is the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ real in your, in my, everyday life? For consider what you and I confess here. We confess here that Jesus is just as real for us as our job, our family, our pain, and our grief. You and I confess that the Lord Jesus is just as real for you as the fact that you're sitting here in your pews this afternoon. You confess that he is truly near you, that you can take hold of the salvation that he brings, and that you can take hold of his salvation in every aspect of your life. And so, there seem to be some contradictions. How do you reconcile them? That's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. And I will summarize this Lord's Day as follows. He who believes in the Lord Jesus has complete salvation. And that means that we believe in the first place in a simple Savior, in the second place a total Savior, and in the third place a radical Savior. God's Son is called Jesus. It is a name not given to him by people. God the Father gave him that name. He told Joseph and Mary to name their newborn child Jesus, that is, Savior. Mary and Joseph were not allowed to name him. God kept that right for himself. It is important that we pay attention to this because that is what the name of Jesus truly means, Savior. God gave him that name. And that means that we can also be sure that he who has given him that name will also live up to that name, make sure that he does. For God does not give names that are only sounds, which have nothing to do with the character or being of the persons themselves. When God gives a name to someone, he gives a name in accordance with who that person is. We do not give our children names like that because we don't know what our children are going to be like. We cannot look into their nature and therefore we cannot give them names which match their nature either. We lost that ability through sin. Adam could still do this in paradise before the fall into sin. God, for example, brought him all the animals, every living creature, so that he could name them in accordance with their character. And then he gave them also names in accordance with their nature. He knew the animals, he understood their very nature, and so he gave them very fitting names. But the names which we give our children do not reflect their true nature. They are sounds by which we recognize them. In fact, parents may even give their children names whose meaning actually conflict with the nature of the children themselves. David, for example, called one of his sons Absalom. That name actually means father of peace. But instead of bringing peace, we know from scripture that Absalom was in reality a son of rebellion. He was by nature the exact opposite of what his name meant. 
Also, one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus was called Judas. And that is what the parents called him at birth. His name means one who praises God, but we all know that his name certainly did not reflect his true nature. For instead of praising God, he betrayed God and gave Jesus Christ over to his tormentors. Here again, we see that his name certainly did not reflect what his nature was like. But that is not so when the Lord Jesus gives someone a name or when he, or when the Lord God gives someone a name, or when he changes someone's name. For example, when God changed the name Abram into Abraham, he changed his name to a father of a multitude. And Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, mother of a multitude. Abraham and Sarah were the parents of the great multitude of believers. God gave those names to them, and the significance of those names became clear in the ages to come. And so we see that when God commands Mary to call her son Jesus, his name describes exactly what he is and what he will be through the ages, a savior. He is called Jesus because he delivers, because he saves us from our sins. And note well that it is in the present tense. This deliverance and salvation is not something for the distant future. It is for right now, for this very moment. It's, of course, true that such salvation is also meant for the future. For we know that in the heavenly Jerusalem, everything will be perfect. Then this world will have been delivered from all evil. We will have been saved from all the things which now cause us so much sorrow and distress. And then our salvation will be complete. But that doesn't mean that God's saving word work is not evident in this broken world. God works his salvation at this very moment. And that's clear from what we read in Acts 3. Peter and John went to the temple and entered the gate called Beautiful. There at the gate of the temple, the temple which reflected in all its ceremonies the forgiveness of sins, Peter came face to face with the results, the consequence of sin. There was a miserable man there at the gate of called Beautiful, a man who had been lame from birth lay there in the gate. His lameness was the consequence of the sin in this world, and this man had to beg. shouldn't have had to beg, but his begging was the result of sin in the church. He should have been supported by the church. Instead, he had to suffer the indignity of having to lower himself to a life of begging. When he asked Peter and John for alms, he got something which he would never have expected. Peter directs his gaze at him with John and says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And immediately this man got up on his feet and he walked. He enters the temple and walking and leaping, he praises God. Now, please understand what this miracle means. It is, of course, a wonderful thing that this man could walk again, 
But that in reality was not the miracle. This healing was not just a special gift which the man personally received from the Lord. There was a lot more to this miracle. For it was in the first place intended for all Israel. It was a miracle performed for the benefit of the whole nation. For with this miracle, all Israel was called to repentance. Israel had to know that God forgives who repent not only from their sins, but that then they will also be have, they will also have the removal of the terrible effects of sin. That miracle pointed, therefore, to the forgiveness of sins in Jesus and restoration through him. And that's what Peter also says in the last verse of chapter 3. When God raised up his servant, referring to Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And you see, that is the point here. Jesus, by whose name this lame man was healed, is showing by his healing to be a true Savior, the one who delivers us from our sins and the effects of sins. For that is what that miracle showed. For what is easier to say, take up your pallet and walk, or your sins are forgiven you? Well, if in the name of Jesus the consequences of sin in this life can be removed in the healing of this lame man, then the name of Jesus can also remove the root of all misery and sin itself. For, the healing, for in the healing, the symptom of sin, Jesus attacks the reason of all misery, namely sin itself. And that is why Peter called out to all the people in Solomon's portico, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Jesus is the true Savior because he delivers from all our sins. The splendor of that name Jesus, the inexpressible worth of our Savior can only be seen by those who see themselves as sinners. For the Lord did not come to save those who see themselves as righteous. Self-righteous people are blind. He came only to save those who know themselves to be miserable sinners. And that is why he is the true Savior. He is really Jesus for those who see themselves as poor and needy. He saves them from all their sins. So there is a strong warning here for us as well. For there are people who do not want to be saved from all their sins. That doesn't mean they don't want to go to heaven. Of course they do. But they don't want to repent from all their sins. They don't want to give up their pleasures. They enjoy them too much. There are some sins which they would like to hang on to. Aren't we all like that? Don't just think about earthly pleasures. For what about the pleasure of hanging on to the sin of grudges and resentments that you have against others? It is our nature to want to hang on to them. And so there are many other sins to which we like to hang on. 
But if that is the way you are, then in reality the name of Jesus doesn't mean anything to you. You may take that name often enough on your lips, but then the Lord Jesus is not really your Savior. People say, Jesus saves. But if you do not want him to save you from all your sins, and then in reality he isn't your Savior, then your Savior is a Savior only who fits your lifestyle. For not only is he a simple and true Savior, he is also a total Savior. It says in the Heidelberg Catechism that no salvation is to be sought or found in anyone else. Indeed, Christ is the only and total Savior, for he delivers man from all their sins. That's also what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said when he proclaimed, No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. He is the way and the truth and the life. All other ways lead to death. The name of Jesus brings separation among sinners. And that's what we see in the passage that we read together. And what Peter proclaimed to the people who ran together to get a good look at the man who only previously had been lame and who now could walk and leap. Peter says to them, you disown the holy and righteous one and killed the author of life whom God rose from the dead. The Jews asked for and received a murderer, Barabbas. Barabbas also saw himself as a kind of savior. He was a revolutionary who wanted to deliver the Jews from the yoke of the Romans with a sword. He also promised salvation. But he promised it in the way of revolution. And so the Jews had the chance to choose. They could choose between Barabbas and Jesus. They could choose between heaven and earth. They could choose between obedience and disobedience. They could choose between condemnation because of their sins or redemption from their sins. And that is still the choice for those who are faced with Jesus with the gospel of salvation today. In reality, it is no choice at all. For as Peter says later to the rulers and the elders and scribes after his arrest, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Note well, brothers and sisters, that Peter focuses on the name Jesus. His name is absolute and exclusive. He is the only one. Only he can truly save. Either you set your heart on him and receive all his benefits, or you set your heart on something else. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that is what makes the confession of his name such a serious business. We all know our sinful natures, or at least we should. And therefore, we know that our hearts go out to many sinful things. For example, we are allowed to seek out the love of a marriage partner and the love of our children. We may desire a good job or a task which we can develop, in which we can develop all our capabilities. We may also long for to possess material things which this world has to offer and enjoy the good things in life. And that's fine. 
if we long for them, God gives these things to us to enjoy. But if you set your hearts on these things, if you exclude Jesus' name in them, if you think that we can be truly happy in those things themselves, then you throw away your true happiness, which you can find only in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is all or nothing with the name Jesus. And therefore, everyone must submit his longings and desires to the Lord Jesus. We must put all of our thoughts and desires completely on the name of Jesus, for there is no other name by which we can be saved. And now, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if you confess that Jesus is your Savior, if you confess that he is everything to you, can you then still be so attached to earthly fame and earthly goods? Can you be responsible for even a single glance of envy towards your brother or sister in the Lord? For we have to watch out. There is no compromise with that name. For that name can either save you or convict you. And when you sin, as we do all the time, go back to that name of Jesus and ask for the forgiveness of sins. For Christ is a radical Savior. The Catechism asks, Do those believe in the only Savior, Jesus, who seek their salvation and well-being from saints, from themselves or anywhere else? Of course, the Catechism has in mind especially the Roman Catholics here. The Roman Catholics believe that you need a little bit of outside help, that you need saints to help you with your sins. And they also believe that your good works can contribute to that. But let's stay in our own backyard. For do we not also have the tendency to want to obtain our own salvation by thinking that somehow our own works are worth something? And so our confession points to us personally. What we confess here is that outside of Christ, there is no salvation. There is no welfare. Salvation and welfare go hand in hand here. It covers all of life. And it covers death too. It covers body and soul. And here we can think of that crippled man again who was healed in the name of Jesus. Please know that Jesus and the apostles did not heal all the sick and all the handicapped, all the disabled in Israel. He only performed a few miracles. Why? In order to emphasize the preaching, in order to emphasize the teaching. We also see that the miracle of Acts 3 is subservient to Peter's sermon. And that is the proper order. Ultimately, miracles mean nothing. Miracles are only there to emphasize the word, for it is through the word that comes healing. We see miracles every day all around us. Just look in nature. Look at what God is doing. But the preaching, that is where the true healing comes, because it is through God's word that you are healed. And so the preaching about the gospel of salvation comes before physical healing. The Lord Jesus attacks sin, the real infection, first. And the healing of that lame man 
is to point that out. Yet there is more to that healing than meets the eye. By means of that miracle, Israel has to come to believe that Jesus saves from all sin. They have to confess that Jesus does not only save someone from sin, but that he saves them from the result of sin. He saves their body and soul. The Israelites, they had to confess that. They must now also confess that the Lord Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the complete Savior. He is the radical Savior. He saves people from their sins. And that means that he also saves them from the result of sin, namely death. Look at how angry the Pharisees were when they saw that truth so clearly in the healing of that lame man. They didn't want it because they did not want to believe in the Lord Jesus because they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. And so they still are in the grip of Satan and of death. Our last enemy, death, of course, has not been completely defeated. We still have to bring loved ones to the grave. But because we have Jesus' resurrection before us, there is now already the comfort of the resurrection of the body. For we know and believe that our salvation is sure in Jesus' name. We daily see his work in the forgiveness of our sins. But that is only the beginning of this salvation. We sang about that in Psalm 85, stanza 1. You forgave all their iniquity. That's only the beginning. For we know that out of this forgiveness of sin, he will completely save us from death and decay. And so we also believe what follows in that psalm. Now God, our Savior, hear us as we pray. Again, restore us. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Whoever believes this does not seek his salvation, his welfare of saints or of himself or anywhere else. He expects his salvation completely from the Lord Jesus, his Savior. Yes, his complete salvation. Soul as well as the body. That means that all he does in and does with the body in his life is directed to that Savior. And then you eat in the first place for Jesus' sake. Otherwise, you'd rather go hungry. And then you work in the first place for Jesus' sake. Otherwise, you would rather be without work. And then you bow your knees not before a labor union, which tells you to seek yourself welfare outside of the Lord Jesus, or to a powerful corporation that seeks a profit at all costs. You would rather do without than bow before those gods. Our Gatechism tells us that we must seek our well-being only in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that whoever tries to do business without this Savior, 
that whoever tries to make the future secure without consideration for the name Jesus actually denies that Jesus is the complete Savior in all aspects of our lives we have to expect everything from him otherwise we really have nothing at all for here again it is all or nothing either Jesus is your complete savior or he isn't your savior at all either Jesus is your whole savior for your whole life or he is not your savior of any part of your life and if he is the savior of your whole life then there is not a single part of your life in which you can say that you can manage on your own. You have given it all over to him. Nobody said that that is easy. It isn't. Peter and John ended up in prison for healing that lame man in the name of Jesus. You see, the world does not tolerate the salvation in Jesus' name. It does not want to see this restoration of this life in Jesus' name. The world rejects everything that is done in that name. And because of this, the world will not accept those who accept this name in all of life. But we will refuse to seek our salvation in welfare in anything or anyone else but the Lord Jesus. And if you know what he can do for you and if you truly believe in that in the riches that he can give to you and to me then it is easy then you can give it all over to him for he is the true savior he is the total savior he is the radical savior in him therefore we find everything necessary for our salvation blessed is his name amen